I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. As we started this last chapter of the book of Philippians last week, we talked about the idea of standing firm. And the idea of standing firm is a military term that's used to tell soldiers not to give up the land or the area that they are defending. And so what Paul is telling us to do here is to stay true to the Lord and stand firm, not let Satan take back ground that Jesus has already uh, conquered. And we learn there's several ways and several ideas that Paul gives us as to what we need to do to stand firm. And we talked last week that we need to stand firm by living in a loving way and seeking and finding peace with our fellow brothers and sisters. That's a way that we stand firm. And today we're going to look at verse 4 and verse 5 in Philippians 4, standing firm by rejoicing and showing our gentleness, our gentle spirit. And we could wrap all of these ideas about love and peace and rejoicing and gentleness into the idea of we learn to stand firm by having the right attitude, by having the right attitude, the attitude of love, the attitude of peace, the attitude of rejoicing, the attitude of, uh, re, uh, of, of being gentle with one another. Verse 4 is a verse you have heard before, I'm sure. There's a song about it. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. So what is it we're supposed to do? Let's everybody say it. Rejoice. And since he says do it again, let's say it again. Rejoice. We are, that's a command, y'all. And Paul is very big on, especially in Philippians, talking about joy. Joy is the key thought of this whole letter to the Philippian brethren. No less than 16 times in this epistle, Paul uses the word or a, or a word similar to that, meaning the same thing. I, I saw it Philippians 1 verse 4 and verse Philippians 1 18 he uses it twice Philippians 1 25 chapter 2 verse 2 chapter 17 he uses it two times 18 he uses it two times verse 28 and 29 of chapter 2 chapter 3 verse 1 chapter 4 verse 1 and verse 4 he uses it twice and then verse 10 so over and over Paul reminds us we are to have joy or we are to rejoice. Now here's my question. Why does Paul say that so much? Do you suppose it's because he understands rejoicing isn't our default position? That as human beings we tend not to rejoice? So what we're going to do today is look at how we're to rejoice and then who or what wants to take our joy away. Did you know there's elements out there that want to remove our joy and want to keep us from being the joy-filled people we ought to be. But first of all, how are we supposed to rejoice? And notice Paul says we are to rejoice always. He doesn't say rejoice sometimes. He doesn't say rejoice when things are going well. He doesn't say rejoice when you get a raise. He doesn't say rejoice when you fall in love. Rejoice when you get... He says rejoice Always rejoice all the time. It's not just an occasional experience for uh, exceptional people. 
Have you ever been around a person that's joyful, just seems like all the time? They're just happy, they're joyful. And you know what happens if I'm not careful? When I'm around somebody like that, I want to say, what are they doing so happy? You know, why, why are they joyful? Because we start thinking about how miserable we are and how joyful they are, and we think something must be wrong with them. But let me tell you what, y'all, as Christ followers, if we are not joyful, there's something wrong with us. And we'll get into that here just a little bit. But Paul says we are to rejoice always. We're to rejoice in darkness as well as light. We are to rejoice in our trials as well as our triumphs. It's not just for apostles either, but it's for all, uh, all Christians. And as I got to looking through the life of Paul, just in the book of Philippians, in chapter 1, verse 4, Paul says he's rejoicing in his prayers. In 1.18, he says, I rejoice in the proclamation of the gospel. In 2.2, he says, I rejoice at the unity of the saints. In 2.17, he says, I rejoice in the prospect of being a martyr for Christ. In 4.10, he says, I rejoice for the love of the brethren. Paul always rejoiced. But the question is, what was his secret? How is it that he was able to rejoice in whatever circumstances that he was in? What was the source of this continual joy? Why was Saul always happy? And just to give you an example, in Acts 16, when Saul was in, and when Paul rather, same person, Saul is Paul's early life, when after he was saved, he became Paul. But Paul and Silas were in prison in Philippi. And it says, Scripture tells us in Acts 16 that they were in the deepest part of the prison. That means they were in the hole. They were in a segregated uh, area of the prison. And in those days, when you got put deep in prison, you were shackled at your ankles, and you were shackled like this from the ceiling. They couldn't move. And at midnight, you know what they were doing? They were singing praises to God. What in the world? How could they be happy in that situation? How could they rejoice in that situation? Well, let me tell you that not only are we to rejoice always, this constant joy is only found. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Now, there may be temporary joy. Uh, a while back when I went back to the hospital and had some heart issues, I was in quite a bit of chest pain, and they gave me some medicine. And I'm not sure what it was, but I had temporary joy. <laughs> not only was I not hurting, I felt just really good. I said, this is kind of nice. But you know what? In a few minutes, it wore off. And I started feeling kind of, ugh. It was a temporary joy. People find joy in drugs. People find joy in alcohol. People find joy in sex. They find joy in material acquisitions, in power, in position, climbing the ladder. People find joy in lots of things. I remember when I started in the restaurant business, and I couldn't wait till I finally got promoted to general manager. I worked my way up to second assistant and first assistant, and Finally, I was a general manager. I was so happy for about a week. And then I'm like, gracious, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. Because then you got to worry about keeping your position. I wanted to be promoted, but after you get promoted, you get to the top of the ladder, you got to worry about staying there because there's somebody ready to knock you off. And you find out that the, joy, that the job was not exactly what you thought it was going to be like. Uh, 
my daughter, when she was working uh, in the, for the jail, uh, county jail in Kansas, she got promoted to general manager of their cafeteria. It was a small cafeteria. But I remember her calling me and she said, Dad, what in the world have I done? She said, I don't know what I'm doing. And she said, help. So I, I said, I'll, I'll try to help you. And so I, we, I helped her a little bit. But there was joy there for a while. But the point is, it didn't last. What about our stuff? Our houses, our cars, our boats, our planes, our trains. We enjoy them. But the question is, are we truly happy? We may be happy for a minute. But do we? are we able to say, I'm able to rejoice always for these things? The proverb remind, writer reminds us in Proverbs 23, verse 5, that at best, these riches... <clears throat> Make themselves wings, they fly away like an eagle toward the heaven. Isn't that what you do with your money every month? We see it fly away like the eagles toward the heaven. I told somebody I'm like a banker. That my job brings me my money and I make sure everybody that's supposed to get it gets what they're supposed to get. We watch our money fly away. Uh, Hebrews 11.25 tells us that sin is just a passing thing. It's fun for a little while but it's only for a little while. Real joy is found only in the Lord. It comes from a personal, living, and fruitful relationship with the Lord. That's why real rejoicing in the Lord rises above circumstances in our own personal situations. Did you know you can be jobless and still rejoice in the Lord? You can be broke and rejoice in the Lord. You can be in prison and rejoice in the Lord. Some of the most joy-filled, spirit-filled Christians I've met are in Turning Center Prison right now. I wish I could bring our praise band to do music for us on a Sunday morning. Uh, I asked my ward if they could do that. They said, he said no, because some of them might not want to come back. You know, so uh, they, they tend to frown on that. But they are joy-filled. Uh, one of the inmates told me one of the things that they've learned when they were in prison is that you don't need as much as you thought you needed. He didn't need as much to be happy as he thought he did before he was incarcerated. And that's just my work experience. You've been around people. How joyful are we? Even on Sunday morning, when we sit in church and worship, so many of us have this expression. I'm not talking about anybody here. Everybody here is smiling, and I'm happy about that. I asked a preacher friend of mine once, how did your service go? And he said, well, he said, I feel like I'm leaking cheers in a graveyard. And that's the way we are at church sometimes. In the public service business, and those of you that have been in public service, you probably have the same experience I've had, that some of the rudest, most impatient people are church folks. Uh, I, I dreaded our Sunday church rush. because it, it, was, it was just a hard time, difficult time, to make people happy. As Christians, we ought to be the easiest people to please in the whole wide world. Let me tell you about my day on Friday. I uh, woke up Monday, or Tuesday morning with a pinched, with a crick in my neck, and it started going down my arm. And so I, I think it's a pinched nerve, and it didn't get any better. So I decided Friday morning that I was going to go with the chiropractor. And uh, so I got to the chiropractor, and she said, she took an x-ray of my, of my neck and said some of my discs were not where they're supposed to be. And, and she could help me 
for $5,000 in 25 treatments. And, but she said, we need to do an MRI first so that we can see exactly how much damage there is in, in the tissues so I can know if I can help you or I need to refer you to an orthopedic surgeon. So I said, okay, fine, I'll do the MRI. So they said, you need to be at Premier Radiology in Brentwood at 4 o'clock. Well, I drove from Franklin, which is where the chiropractor was, back to work. And I worked till 2 o'clock, and I drove, took 2 o'clock, and I went to till 4 o'clock. I got there to Premier Radiology. I said, I'm here for my MRI appointment. And she said, what's your name? I told her I'm Andy Plank. And she looked and said, we don't have you on our schedule. And I said, well, I've got the order here from the chiropractic place. It said I was supposed to be here. And she said, we can't work you in. She said, we're just too busy. She said, I'm, I'm, she said, I'm so sorry. I don't know what happened. And uh, she said, thank you for being so patient with me. And I said, well, I said, it's not your fault. You know, I said, this is just a thing, but that's not what I was feeling inside. But I remembered my sermon that I'm working on, Rejoice in the Lord Always. And so I didn't yell at her because that's what I wanted to do. Joy rises above our circumstances. You know what? I am a blood-bought, spirit-filled, Jesus-following, Christ-follower, and I'm going to follow him right into heaven when I die. And if you've trusted in the Lord as your Savior, so are you, and we have nothing to be non-joyful about. Right? Joy, our joy in the Lord, rejoicing in the Lord, it's not in our circumstances. Now, I'll admit it's easier to rejoice on the mountaintop but you know what happens when we get to the mountaintop? We get to focusing on why, what we've, what's been going good. If we just got a raise and we're rejoicing, we start rejoicing over that bank account. Or we start rejoicing over the new promotion. Or we start rejoicing over the new car or the new house. And notice where our focus is? It's not on God. We're rejoicing, but we're not rejoicing in the Lord. And then we get down in our valleys we get demoted from the position we got promoted to, or we get fired, or we start having relationship problems, or we get a diagnosis from the doctor that's not what we want to hear, and we start focusing on that, and so we're not rejoicing there either. Neither place on the mountaintop or in our valley are we focused on the Lord. But you know what? If we learn to find rejoicing in the Lord, we're going to rejoice no matter what. We get a new car. Thank you, Lord, for blessing me. My arm was really hurting when I pulled up to Walmart. I had to go to Walmart last night. And there wasn't a, the closest parking place was Alabama. But everybody else decided that they wanted to go to Walmart at the same time. And in just a few, as I drove around, I saw somebody on the first row pull out. And I pulled in the parking place. I said, Lord, thank you for this parking place. Are we busy about focusing on the Lord in spite of our circumstances? True joy. The reason why we can be commanded to be joy. Nobody can command me to be happy. When that nurse gave me the steroid shot Friday night, because when I decided I wasn't going to go the $5,000 route with the chiropractor, and I went to Fast Pace and they gave me a steroid shot, I wasn't real happy at that moment. But I rejoiced in the Lord yesterday because I felt better. Amen? Amen. 
Rejoice in the Lord always. And when you get done rejoicing, rejoice again. Keep on rejoicing. But what are some thieves of our joy? How do we lose our joy? Why is it that we are so, I don't know what the opposite of joy about us, non-joyful, unjoyful? Why don't we have joy? Number one, a lot of times we get to live it in the past. And when we mess up in the past, or we're aware of our present faults, we tend to get depressed instead of happy. A lot of times we get discouraged when we think about our failures, where we've messed up, where things don't go as well as we would like for it to go. But notice what Paul says in Philippians 3, verse 12. Remember a few weeks ago we studied this? Not that I have already attained or have already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. Forget those things that are behind us. Did you mess up? Guess what? I mess up too. Everybody in this room, we mess up. Now the question is, what do we do when we mess up? Do we wallow in our pity? Do we wallow in our shame? Now it's, it's okay to feel guilty because we should. That's the Holy Spirit working on us. And when we feel that guilt, we feel that conviction, we say, Lord, forgive me. And once Scripture tells us that if we confess our sins, that's 1 John 1, 9, by the way, if we confess our sins, the blood of Jesus Christ stands ready to forgive us of all unrighteousness. When that happens, forget it and move on. Don't live in the past. Don't stay in the past. Realize your imperfection, but press on to better things. Forget your past failures. Reach forward to future successes. Some of the best lessons I've learned in life are when I've messed up. You know? Some of the things that stuck with me the most are the times that didn't go well for me in the past. And when you get there, you've got two choices. You can either stay there or you could learn from it and move on. Had an employee one time. He said, and he, he worked for me in the kitchen. And he messed up an order really, really bad. He said, I'm sorry I messed up that order. I said, you know what? We all mess up orders. Don't do it again. And down the road he messed up again. But I said, you know what? It's been a long time since you've messed up an order. You're getting better. Move on. Let the past go. You can't live there. You can't revisit it. You can't fix it. There are a lot of things in my life I wish I could fix. But I can't. But you know what I can do? I can live for Jesus in spite of that. I can take this failure and turn it into where I am today. Somebody said, would you like to go back and do things differently? And I said, you know what? I do have some regrets in my life, but every one of them have led me to where I am right now. And I feel like I'm in God's will right now, and I'm happy to be here. Who knows where other roads would lead? You know God can take our messes and pull us right back into his will. See, we think in our mind, 
that we're going to become a Christian, hop on a bicycle, and pedal our way straight to heaven. What it looks like, is the real path is down, up, fall off the bike, you roll over a log, run the bike down a hill, flip it over, get up, and God gets us back on his path, and one day he's going to take us home. And that's where we have to stay focused. Because no matter how things, how many times, no matter how much we mess up, don't let it steal your joy. Because you're a blood-thought, spirit-filled, Jesus-following Christian that's on your way to heaven. Satan wants you to forget that. He'd love to steal your joy from you. But he can't take it if you don't give it to him. Amen? Forget about the past. And there are others who are just kind of naturally, uh, by their own term, they're, they're melancholy. They're, they're glass-half-empty people. By nature, it seems like that's just the way they're wired. My mom's that way. I can ask my mom, I'll say, what's wrong? And she'll say, well, nothing. I said, well, why do you look so worried? She said, I am worried. I said, why are you worried? She said, I'm worried about what's going to happen. <laughs> Something might go wrong. And, I, you know, I laugh at that, but if I'm not careful, I'll get the same way. We start worried about everything that might go wrong at work or what might go wrong at home or what might happen in the house or the yard or the car. And we, we're going to talk about this next week, by the way. Because not only do we stand firm with right attitudes, we also stand firm by right praying. That, that's next week. So I'm not going to go down that trail. Come back and you can hear that lesson next week. I'll give you a little hint. We're supposed to be anxious about nothing and pray about everything. But we get that backwards. We're anxious about everything and pray about nothing. But that's next week. We may be half-empty folks. And if that's the case, we probably have to try a little bit harder to be joyful and to keep our mind on uh, happy, positive things. Uh, they may be melancholy through genetics. A lot of times we pick up our the way we view life genetically. We also, the way think the environment that we grow up in, it might have been a toxic environment that's turned us melancholy or depressed. And those are real things. And I'm not making light of, of those things. They're things that we have to work through. Those are things that we have to deal with. But in Christ, we can be transformed. Christ can take that mess of our life. And when we trust him as our Savior and the Holy Spirit fills our heart, he turns our life upside down, brand new, inside out. And we become a new creature. I'm going to use the phrase again. Blood, bought, spirit filled, Jesus following Christian on our way to heaven. There's nothing melancholy about that. There's no half full about that. It's full and running over. My great-grandfather used to drink coffee. He'd pour it out of his cup. He'd pour it, put it in a saucer and drink it. And one time I said, Grandpa, how come you do that? And he said, well, son, this helps me to remember that I'm so blessed my cup's running over and I'm drinking out of my saucer. And I thought, that's, that's pretty cool. Isn't that the way we ought to be? Y'all, if you're Christians, there's no such thing as a glass half full. We're going to live with Jesus for eternity. We're saved. We're blood-bought. We're spirit-filled. We ought to be the happiest people in the world. I was doing music at a revival one time, and we had a full house of people, probably a couple of hundred people. The doors were open. It was a summer evening, and across the road was a beer joint. 
And they had their music just blowering and playing and people were shouting and clapping and having a good time. And the preacher was looking at us and we were all like. <laughs> and he stopped preaching. I'll, I'll never forget this as long as I have got what little mind I've got. I'll, I'll always remember this. He says, y'all know what? He said, it's a crying shame that all those lost people over there are having a better time than we are here in the Lord. And isn't that the truth? If we're saved, we ought to act like it. We ought to be joyful. We ought to be happy. We ought to be grateful. We ought to be gracious. God's grace is amazing. But it can cause us, if we're half-empty people, we've got to guard against being half-empty and getting melancholy. Depressing circumstances can take our joy. It's easy to be joyful when everything's going well, but when things go wrong, our joy goes off the rails. And we tend to start focusing on those things. Listen to this sentence. Are you listening? Our temporary circumstances, our temporary circumstances, get that straight now, our temporary circumstances do not change our permanent future. You see, whatever's not right, Right now, it's temporary. Even if this pinched nerve doesn't go away, it's temporary. Even if I live to be 90, what's 90 years compared to eternity? Isn't it a drop in the bucket? Our life here is so temporary. Whatever circumstances we're in, they are so temporary. I know they're real. I know we have to deal with them. But let's focus on Jesus and not our circumstances. And when we do that, we'll find ourselves being joyful. And I tell you something else. Sometimes something else can take our joy away. Sometimes we can be so empathetic with other people that we let their problems drag us down. I read about a guy who was getting ready to jump off a bridge and a, a fellow stopped and said, hey, hey, don't, don't jump. He said, things aren't that bad. He said, just tell me what's wrong. He said, give me five minutes. He said, tell me what's wrong and see if I can't help you. Five minutes later, both of them jumped. <laughs> people's problems, if we're dealing with people's problems, I have to really be careful as a chaplain because a lot of my work is negative. I'm telling somebody their loved one's sick. I'm telling somebody, a, child, a guy the other day, uh, he entrusted the care of his kids to his cousin until he gets out of prison next year. The cousin went and petitioned and took his kids away from him. And uh, he's trying to help him deal with that. If, if I'm not careful, helping those that are in bad circumstances can make me lose my joy. It can make you lose your joy too. We have to keep our focus on Jesus. Because there's a lot of bad stuff that happens in our world. If you don't believe it, watch the No, don't watch the news. <laughs> But if you think everything's fine, watch the news. Everything is fine. Jesus is still on his throne. Understand that. But a lot of folks are in a, lot of, in a bad way. We go to Food Saver or Denny's or Rogers or McDonald's to eat, and we talk to our friends, and what did you hear about such and such? Did you hear about so and so? A lot of people are in a lot of bad ways, and when we start trying to help, we can let that take our joy. Let's don't do that, y'all. Let's be joyful Loving people. Rejoice in the Lord 
always. And again, I say rejoice. But then look what he says in verse 5. He says, let your gentleness be known to all men. This word, the Lord is at hand. This word gentleness is a difficult word to define. The, the Greek word that, that's written, gentleness, we don't have an English word that uh, translates exactly to that same word. So gentleness is used, kindness is used. Uh, I, one version I read was magnanimity. A lot of different words. But he says, let your gentleness be known to all men. Now let's put this little section of scripture all together in a nice little bowl. He's talking about having the right attitude. First we're to be loving. We're to love one another. We're to be peace at peace with each other. And when we get crossways, we're to help each other get back focused on the Lord. We're to rejoice always. And if you know what? If we are loving and we are peaceful and we are rejoicing, we are going to be gentle. Do you know that? If you're loving and rejoicing and peaceful, you're not going to be mean. You're not going to be hateful. Paul doesn't say, let your fighting spirit be known to all men. He says, let your gentleness be known to all men. Now, I want you to think about something. Think about 2021. Think about the election that we went through in 2020 and the different riots at different places over all of that. Is gentleness anywhere on anybody's radar? The world is screaming for gentleness. And what we want to do is we want to stand up and speak as loud as everybody else to make sure we're not heard. Let your gentleness be known to all men. Why? Because the Lord is at hand. I don't know when the Lord's coming back, but it's closer than it was yesterday. The Lord is near. You know how near the Lord is? Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of. The Lord's here this morning. Now, if you remember that the Lord's living in you, the Holy Spirit's living in you, the Lord's at hand, right? He's nearer than you think. Here's a question. That last person, the last time you fussed at your wife, husbands, and you got ugly with your wife, if Jesus had been standing there, would you have said it? Parents, the last time you got rough with your kids, if Jesus was there, would you have said it? The last time you did something that was contrary to the Lord, what if Jesus came back at that exact moment? The Lord's at hand. He watches how we live. And y'all, Jesus don't like ugly. We're to live in love. We're to live in peace. We're to live rejoicing. We're to live gently. Because that kind of a person is showing the light of Jesus. And our world desperately needs to see that light. The world doesn't need my two cents. I don't need to give anybody a piece of my mind because I don't have enough to spare. <laughs> Guess what? Y'all don't either. The world needs to see our rejoicing. The world needs to see our love. 
The world needs to see our gentleness. And when I say rejoice in the Lord always, that doesn't mean we're to be insensitive toward people that are having problems. We're to help those people. We're to do it with a joyful attitude. You know what? Sadness is contagious. Depression is contagious. So is joy. We can make a difference in people's life. But it starts by making your relationship with the Lord what it ought to be. First of all, by rendering complete obedience to His will. You're not going to be able to rejoice if you're not at peace with God. And the only way to get at peace with God is to be in His will. And once you've done that, you've got to let the counsel of the Holy Spirit work on you to give you the perspectives that are necessary to rejoice always.